Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. In this Masters Classic from 2006, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Colleen Barrett, president of Southwest Airlines and the first female president in the airline industry. During her 50 years with the company, Colleen's philosophy of treating every employee like family shaped the love airlines culture and led to unparalleled customer satisfaction. In this powerful interview, Colleen shares the secrets behind her brilliant, no-fuss leadership. If you enjoy this classic interview, please share it with your friends and visit mastersbywinclaybaugh.com to sign up for our mailing list. And remember, Masters podcasts are also available on the Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcast platforms. Enjoy this amazing interview with Colleen Barrett. Hi everybody, this is Wynn Claybaugh and welcome to this issue of Masters. I've had the opportunity to sit down with some pretty amazing, uh, famous people, including Larry King and Lisa Gibbons and the president of Outback Steakhouse and, you know, Vidal Sassoon and I've been awed and wowed by some, some incredible leaders and, uh, I have to say, I'm a little bit nervous sitting here today because of the woman that I'm sitting with. And, and I've, I've known about her company for many, many years. I've been a fan of her company for years, as I know that many of our listeners are. But then to meet her and to study about her and to meet the people that work with her and to realize that she really is the, the keeper of the faith, so to speak, when it comes to the culture of Southwest Airlines and the success of Southwest Airlines, I'm sitting here with Colleen Barrett. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Colleen is the president of Southwest Airlines. Uh, you have actually been with the company since it was founded 35 years ago, correct? Correct. You currently service 90 million customers a year fly yes. on your airline. That's why I have white hair. <laughs> and it is said that you're the America's most profitable airline. Correct. And 32,000 employees. Uh -huh. uh, how many cities? 62. 62 cities. Soon to be 63 with Dulles. Congratulations. In, uh, October. So, uh, obviously, an incredible career path that you've had, but I, I, I find it interesting that part of your title, President of Southwest Airlines and Corporate Secretary, what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I became the company Corporate Secretary in 1978, and I've just retained that title all those many years since. And one of the reasons for that, you know, that is an official officer position in most of corporate America, um, so there are some, you know, legal requirements and, and so forth um, to be a corporate secretary. But for me, I started as a secretary. I mean, I started as a legal secretary. That's what I did from when I was a junior in high school. And I'm very proud of that background. And I really believe that it has um, enabled any successes that I've had. I mean, it was a great uh, way to understand business, to build rapport within a community, um, and so forth, and I even today I currently sponsor all the secretaries at Southwest. Do you feel like that by having that title, corporate secretary, it sends out a message to your thirty-two thousand employees? Uh, you know, I don't know if it does or not. I know it sends us a message to our administrative um, workers in headquarters. The thing I love about Southwest Airlines is 
is culture. I want to talk a lot about culture. You even have what you call the culture committee. When I heard that you have a culture <laughs> committee, I was like, oh my gosh, I have found my second home. Um, I've had the, the distinct pleasure and honor to go from city to city here in the, in the U.S. working uh, with your organization. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I walk into some venues within the industry that I work in and, and people know who I am. I walk into your organization. Nobody knows who I am, which was actually kind of cool because I get to these different cities and I'm, you know, I'm there an hour early trying to set up. And right. there's your people running around getting things set up. They have no idea who I am. The people are, are walking in. You, you would have thought that I was part of their family, too. Not right. knowing. Now, of course, if they knew that I was a speaker, they would come up and introduce themselves. But they didn't know who I was. And from city to city to city, didn't matter where I was, your people are really, really nice. Well, that makes me very proud, and, and it's not surprising to me because that's kind of the way we've raised them. And um, sort of a pre-qualifier, if you will, for any Southwest employee, no matter where they're going to work, is that they have to like people. And they have to practice the golden rule every day. I mean, if you didn't even know our mission statement... If you said that our mission statement encompassed the golden rule, just to basically be respectful of others and to treat others as you'd like to be treated, um, you would have encapsulated the purpose of Southwest, or not the purpose, but the mission of Southwest. Right. And um, so I, I love the fact uh, that you are welcomed without reservation when you walk into any location at Southwest, because that's the way we would want it to be. Well, you said that you hire people who who have to like people. Yes. Well, isn't that kind of commonplace? I mean, if, well, if you're going to be attracted to work in the in an industry that's about serving people, wouldn't that be kind of how it should be that people well, like people? It, it, that's the way it should be. Um, <laughs> however, I don't think that a lot of people walk that talk, and and we're pretty religious about it. We're much more apt to uh, discipline or or even terminate an employee who doesn't have the right attitude, behavior, or whatever, versus a person who is taking a little longer to learn a skill, if you will. So right. we're, we're much more disciplined when it comes to attitude um, than any other ingredient of a job. And, and I, I, that speaks a lot uh, to who we want to be. Isn't it funny that somebody will get fired from a, a company simply because they mismanaged uh, a task or a skill and yet they could have that horrible attitude and just right. cause that poison everywhere they right. go and maintain a, a job for right. years and years. And that would never happen at Southwest. I mean, even the reverse, I can tell you, it's kind of shocking, I think. Um, you know, pilots are sort of their own breed. Right. And, you know, they're known for having rather large egos, and I'm, I'm making a terrible generalization here, I realize that, but most pilots come from the military. So they're kind of used to instant gratification. They're very used to hierarchical type structure, very um, fraternity oriented. Well, I can tell you that it is a shock to some of those um, guys, whom I love dearly, by the way, I just have to say that, but it can be a real shock when they come in for an interview at Southwest. They're an applicant, in other words. They could have 50 letters of recommendation. They could have uh, flying medals for all their flying prowess, you know. Um, no one that, that applies at Southwest for a pilot position um, doesn't have a type rating. You have to have a type rating, which means that you have to be qualified to fly as a captain right. when you walk through the door or you don't get through the door. But even a person who came in with all of that 
along with accolades, you know, from the President of the United States or the head of the Air whatever military group they're with, that person would not be hired at Southwest Airlines if there was something about his or her attitude or behavior or demeanor during the interview process that turned us off in terms of his or her personality wow. because we would know that that person would, over the long term, would not fit within our culture. Right. And we really do hire for attitude and train for skills. Now, we don't train for skills in the terms of being a pilot or a mechanic. You have to have those skills before right. you come in. Right. But for non-technical jobs, we do train for skills. Right. And as I said, we're, we're probably going to be more patient with someone that's having a difficult time learning a process or a procedure than we are with a person who does not practice a golden rule every day. I've actually heard it said that when people come here for training, let's say that they're going to come for a flight attendant right. training, so they actually come here to the headquarters. Right. By the way, we're in Dallas at Love Field Airport, uh, where the corporate headquarters are for Southwest Airlines. Um, and in a little bit, we're going to talk about what I'm looking at right now. Okay. Hundreds of thousands of square feet here. Yes. It's huge. Yes. And I've heard it said, though, that when somebody comes here for flight attendant training, they're here for, what, a couple of months or six uh -huh. weeks or About so? six weeks. That they could perform brilliantly during the training, but it's happened that when they were checking out of the hotel, they were rude to the Correct. hotel employee and therefore were asked to not come back to Southwest Airlines. Is right. that true? That is true. Wow. Yep. And I'm sitting here grinning from ear to ear because this is such good news. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really, really no, good we're, news. we're really true to who we say we are. Well, you have a motto that flying and working should be fun. That's right. Okay. Pretty unusual for corporate America, isn't it? But we really believe that. We, we basically have a, an expression that we call living the Southwest way. Right. And living the Southwest way means that you, every day in your actions almost whether on the clock or off the clock, but you're always a representative of Southwest Airlines. So it means that you have to display what we call the warrior spirit, right? which is very easy for us because we've sort of been in a battle our entire life. So, you know, it's sort of inborn. You have to lead from a servant's heart because that is what we are all about. We are in the service business right. and therefore you have to serve others. And we use another word Southwest a lot love and LUV is our corporate symbol on the New York Stock Exchange and so to us leading from a servant's heart means that you have to love and respect others um, and then the third quality so warrior spirit servant's heart and a fun loving attitude you know sometimes people misunderstand the word fun loving attitude or the expression fun loving attitude it doesn't mean that we have parties every day and that we blow up balloons and that we do nothing but party we work our butts off yeah. but we play as hard as we work and we believe that work does not have to be stodgy and stuffy and robotic right. as a matter of fact we encourage exactly the opposite we're a very down-to-earth group we, I mean, we have some structure because you couldn't have a company our size and not have structure. But titles don't mean a whole lot. Right. And one of our core values uh, has always been egalitarianism. And we approach 
internal customer service exactly the same way as we approach external customer service. Okay, you, have, you have to explain that because the, what you're saying cool. is that there's two customers. You have your external customers, which are these 90 million passengers right. a year that fly on your airlines. And, and we we'll actually have three sets of customers, the way I look at it. Okay. Our pyramid is kind of upside down for most companies. Okay. We teach this in our leadership classes. We teach this really at all levels uh, of the organization. It, we build and proudly build our pyramid this way. We tell our employees that our number one customer in terms of importance is our employee. So therefore, the management company of Southwest, the management group of Southwest, the, the leaders, they must be servant leaders. Right. And I, for example, probably, I, mean, I can't put it to a precise uh, metric, but I probably spend 70 to 80 percent of my time on what I call internal customer service. Okay. Because if I am working to serve the employees and to assure that they have a decent work environment, to assure that they've got the tools to do their job, to assure that they feel good about their work environment and about the Southwest family, if you will, they in turn, you know, it's not really rocket science, right. they are going to feel better about themselves, they're going to be more warm, they're going to be more caring, they're going to understand the expectations. It's going to be a way of life for them, as I said earlier, to meet those expectations. There's no surprises here. We demand very little, but what we demand we are very specific about. So if they do all of those things, they're going to be very warm and welcoming to the person that we say is the number two customer in terms of priority, and that is the passenger, the flying passenger. If those people are served well and treated the same way that the management group is treating our employees, then they're going to like their service and they're going to come back. And they come back often enough, we make a little bit of money. And in our industry, that's pretty unique these days. So. If they come back often enough and we make enough money, that in turn pleases the third customer in terms of priority, and that's the shareholder. Okay. And then if you go full circle, our employees are, at any given time, point in time, uh, they probably own 10 to 13% of our company, so, so they're shareholders too. I think that is hugely important. Yeah. They really, uh, whether it's cost-cutting, um, cost savings, safety, whatever, they are thinking about all of those things, hopefully, and especially after they've been here maybe a year or so, they are thinking of those things as owners. So they're making decisions based on, you know, if this was coming out of my, and it is, it's coming out of their profit sharing if we're going to spend money, right. so you want to spend it wisely. I, I love everything you're saying and I want to break it down. Um, to somebody reading about your company saying, oh, wow, you know, for me to be successful the way Southwest Airlines is, um, reading about your company, I guess if I'm a manager, I have to have a barbecue at my home. <laughs> <laughs> so then they'll have the barbecue at their home and everybody comes, oh, they have a great time. But then they see that person at work the next mm -hmm. day and completely ignore them. Uh, that would not be good. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be happy with that manager. <laughs> you know, so that internal customer, what, what do you say to these companies and philosophies and books and trainings that preach the customer is always right? Well, we say that we don't agree with that. And okay. we've said that publicly. And I got a few thousand letters when, I'm sure when, you when did. we said it as well. But, but here's the deal. 
we are very proactive about customer service delivery and we are, will be the first to apologize, to try to make up to the customer if we have in fact made a mistake, mishandled them or, or what have you. We take full responsibility and full accountability when we have messed up. Right. However, sometimes the customer is the person that has messed up. And when that happens, we will absolutely tell it like it is. You know, I don't believe that employees just come work for a company. I believe that they join I, a company. I do too. And um, first of all, we, we wouldn't be sitting here today if it weren't for uh, the two Mikes. Yes. Mike, Mike Broadhead <laughs> and, and Michael Massoni. And I'm very, very grateful to, to them for introducing us and, and making this happen. To um, my dearest friends. Who love you and love this company. Yes. It's like you have injected them with that Southwest Airlines blood, and they love it, and they live it here. You know, I but think they sort of had that injection before they joined us. However, I think that it's probably, they are two of my best examples of people who can join and then just give a whole new blood transfusion, if right. you will, to people that have been around longer. And they are so filled, they have the perfect each of them, and it's hard to talk about them separately almost right. in my brain, but each of them has so much energy and so much to give right? and and want so badly to be contributors. You know, like I wish I had 50 of each of them or well, 500 of each of them. Well, yeah, it's almost like, um, you know, they're on your payroll in your PR department yeah. because they... <laughs> They, well, that's they, how I hope most Southwest Airlines employees. Well, I need to tell you, I was at the gym in Palm Springs, California, and there was a, a guy there working out, and he had a Southwest Airlines flight attendant shirt on. So I went up and you know asked him, hey, oh, you work for flight Southwest? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, went on and on and on about how much he loves Southwest Airlines, and he told me his whole history, been with you for 12 years, and on and on and on. Okay? We're at the gym. At the same Jim, the same day, another person who I know works for another airlines, and you couldn't believe he was complaining to me about a letter that had come down from uh -huh. the president of the company or the CEO of the company, and and just it just created this whole rift throughout everybody, and it was just so demeaning to the employees yes. and and made them feel like you know anyway the exact opposite opposite of what you're about. Right. You know, I run into that a lot, and it's sad. But I think one of the biggest differences, is not just airlines, it's just companies in general. I, I think something that people just don't pay attention to, even people that come to you and say, I really want to develop a special culture, tell me how to do it. Right. I think that most companies think that you have a flavor of the week or you know a program of the month or whatever. And you cannot be successful with people if you have programs that start and stop right I mean so okay so this month we're going to communicate we're going to we're going to talk to everybody and then we're going to put that aside and then next week we're going to you know whatever it is go barbecue you know right I mean it has to be it's a way of life way is what you of say life. it has to be a way of life and when it's a way of life it's kind of like a small child that doesn't know any different. They'll just say what comes into their minds at right. any given time. Right. Well, when it is a way of life, 
just like in your own families, you're going to have warts. You're going to have black sheep. You're, I mean, we all have relatives that we'd prefer not to announce in public are our relatives. On, on both sides of the family. Uh, yes, on both sides of the family. But the truth of the matter is when push comes to shove and you're right down to the bottom line, yeah. you're going to defend that uh, family member or you're going to at least be respectful of that family member, even if you don't. I mean, when you're a teenager, things can bother you a whole lot more than they would when you're 25 or 30. Right. And we all... If you've been raised right, if you have just some good common values and you know that you you have to respect Herb's mother told him this years ago and, and I just love this. You respect people not for their positions but for their accomplishments. Hmm. My mother taught me I was raised in a pretty poor family and we were never so poor that we didn't have an extra plate to set at the table. Hmm. And now I realized years later that many times that meant maybe she didn't eat. Right. But she meant it because you opened your house mm. to people that blessed you with their presence. Mm. And it's really pretty simple. You're just not any better than anybody else. If you mm. just, you know, I might be good at this skill, you might be good at that skill. And, but together, we can accomplish something really well, something really good. We don't have to all have exactly the same philosophies or religion or what what have you we just have to want to make a positive difference i think that's the big key so with 32,000 employees obviously outside of work they do have different belief systems sure. lifestyles Absolutely. religious beliefs but when yes. you all come together you're on the same page that's with right. the same purpose and that is this way of life which includes having a servant's heart having fun and a warrior spirit a warrior spirit yep. Now, there are people listening to this CD right now who own businesses and they have five employees or they have 500 right. employees. You have 32,000 employees. What is the big mistake that, that people are making when it comes to leadership and trying to create that loyalty to where people love coming to work, where work is fun, and, and therefore that then gets passed on to that next customer, which is the external customer? I think um, not listening Number one, leaders have to listen. I think that leaders need to realize that everyone has value in their ideas. And for example, if you think in silos, you're going to miss golden opportunities. And, and this is another lesson that Herb taught me. And I, I learned most of my lessons the hard way, by the way. <laughs> you know, I'm really pretty stubborn. But Years and years ago, we had a young lawyer in our office, and he had an idea a minute. And I am probably patience is not one of my better virtues. I'm a doer, you know. And tell me what you want me to do, and I'll go do it. But I want to talk about it forever. I want to go do it. And um, it's, like, it's like people who have meetings to plan meetings to yes, plan meetings. Yes, right, meeting by death. I could have written the book myself. Right, right. And um, so this young lawyer was always coming in with a new idea a minute. And I said to Herb one day, Herb, how do you, I mean, because I would realize that Herb had listened to this kid for three hours and then he'd work until midnight to make up for the lost three hours and it just drove me crazy. And, <laughs> and Herb would say, Colleen, he's really a brilliant kid. And it's true that a lot of his ideas are kind of flighty and not well formulated, 
but he's going to have a masterful idea at one time, and I just want to be there when it comes <laughs> up. And I thought, wow, how interesting. Because I would tend, almost uh, did the same thing as a parent for the first few years, I would tend to just sort of say, okay, well, we've had enough of that chit-chat. Now let's get on with it. Right. And um, it really taught me a lot that if you listen and if you uh, let people take a few risks, you know, there's some people that won't take risk, and I'm not much of a risk taker. I will risk with people. I I'll put it this way, I'm not a gambler. Okay. What do you mean you'll risk with people? I am much more um, flexible when it comes to saying, well, this person could do this even though they don't have any education or particular training to do it uh, because my gut tells me that they would be instinctive about it and they would be, you know, I wouldn't let a person fly an airplane that didn't have a pilot's right. license. Right. But I would let a person uh, head our people department, our human resources area, that had no uh, human resources background. Why would you let them do that? Because they, because, don't, they don't have the skill but they have the desire? Uh, no, because I would know. I'm, very, I'm pretty good about judging people. Okay. Um, I, and when I say judging, I, I'm pretty intuitive about people's abilities. And I would know that at Southwest Airlines, a person would have the right traits, characteristics, leadership style, and so forth to be able to lead our human resources function and to get the people that have the technical skills to do the other things that they didn't have the education to do. I would do the same for in-flight. The head of in-flight, to me, does not have to be somebody that came up from being a flight attendant, even though we pretty much do promote from within, you know, in most of our departments. If they have the right personality, if they have the right behavior, if they have the right values and they have the right leadership style that we want, then I don't care what department they came from. Hmm. And that's pretty unusual too. The larger that companies get, they're so structured, they're so, there's like this career path and you have to follow it. Well, heck. If I, I mean, if if I had, I mean, I never planned my career, and I certainly didn't have this career path or ladder that I was trying to climb. Now I'm I'm very lucky because I've always had incredible mentors, and and I've always worked for people that wanted me to be the best I could be, which is you know pretty unusual in a lot of places. But at Southwest, it's not unusual. Right. When I asked the question about. You know the mistake that people are making. I think that you just answered it, and uh, that and that you said that you've had mentors and you've worked with people right. who wanted you to be better. Right. And and maybe that's a mistake that some industry yes. or business leaders are making. They they don't really see that potential in their people. I think that's right, and I think that sometimes people are so insecure that they don't want to hire people that. Or have more potential than they do. I don't get and that. And I think that is so silly. It is silly because it's stupid, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want I want to surround myself around Absolutely. by people who are smarter than Me I too. am. Yeah. Me too. But I do see that happen all the time. I've seen it happen almost at every level. Well, you mentioned golden opportunities. What are golden opportunities? And I'm going to wrap that around another question. Uh, you have uh, a team called Internal Customer Care. Yes. Um, ICC, which is made up of, I think it's six people. Six people. And, and you also said earlier that you probably spend 70% of your time right. with your internal customers, right. i.e. your employees. 
to make sure that they're happy and that they're well taken care of. And I, I'm assuming that this internal customer care team of six people helps you accomplish that task. That's true. And does Golden Opportunities fall into that ICC's group's job description or duties? No. I mean, when I say that there are Golden Opportunities, what I really mean is that um, just generally, globally speaking, at Southwest, you could come in as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old, and and you could be hired on to be a ramp agent. Okay. And um, 20 years later, 15 years later, you could be the vice president of ground ops, which is the station folks, or you could be the vice president of provisioning. You know, I mean, we really encourage people to um, literally move from department to department and a lot of people don't do that a lot of companies don't do that our executive vice president of customer service who is retiring next week she has had 14 different jobs at Southwest Airlines she's been here 29 years she's been in at least four departments and I've often told her I mean I'm, I'm just broken hearted I feel like I'm you know losing a child but I've often told her that the biggest problem I've ever had with her is that there were so many jobs she could do, I couldn't decide what was more important. Mm. But that's not that unusual. I mean, it's pretty unusual, I think. She started as a res agent, right. a reservations agent, 29 years ago, and she's leaving the company as executive, one of two executive vice presidents, customer service. Obviously, if she's been here that long, she has the attitude. Right. She has the warrior spirit. She has the servant's right. heart. She has all of those things, correct? Correct. Are you saying that had you not allowed her, had your company not been about allowing people to have multiple jobs and move from department to department, that you probably would have lost her years oh, ago? Oh, I think that, yes. So you would have lost a brilliant person with a servant's heart because, no, this is your career path. You, you started here, and I this think, is where you're going to stay. I think that the reason that most people leave jobs, no matter what company, is because they get bored right. or they get burned out. Right. And I think one of the neat things about Southwest is that I'm not saying there's never any burnout, but I think there's less burnout at Southwest because we so encourage the flexibility and the cross training and the I mean we have we have a requirement for our leaders just by way of example that they do at least one day in the field in a department other than their own a quarter. Give us an example of that. Well, uh, Cynthia Young, who runs our internal customer care group that you right. referenced, which is basically, it's my internal communication with all employees that have any significant events going on in their lives. Such Good, as? In the middle. Like death, birth, OJI, long-term medical leave, somebody, a kid graduating from high school. I mean, just basically all significant, just like you would in your own family. So you want to know what's going on in the lives of these 32,000 customers, i.e. employees. Right. Her day in the field might be, uh, she just did one. She just went um, to New Orleans to celebrate uh, with the employees who, all of our New Orleans employees lost their their current jobs after Katrina because we shut down New Orleans. Right. When we started opening New Orleans back up, and she basically stayed in touch with those people, or we all did, but we all sort of adopted one or two of them, and, and but basically she coordinated that communication effort. Well, about two-thirds of them now are back in their jobs in New Orleans. Wow. And she recently went down to do a barbecue for 
the New Orleans and police and to really basically meet the people face to face that she's been talking to on the phone or communicating with via email or what have you so that she'd have a face to go with those names. Right. That, that's a good example. I mean, and we have that going on throughout our company. You know, I might go spend a day in the field at a res center and sit with a res agent and listen to res calls. You know, whatever. I actually, I steal some good ideas from you, by the way. Yeah, oh, you know, well, about, good. You know, what I like to say is um, if you steal from more than one source, it's called research. <laughs> so I do a lot of research. Uh-huh. And um, you have this thing, it's called uh, the fun activity book or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have well, a game book. Yeah, well, I have that now, too, (laughs) in my company. But the the things that I took, it's like you required them to wear a funny hat to work. Right. Um, To what we require, that's probably not the right word. Um, But we'll have fun hat day. Have fun hat day. Uh, Um, To bring in a cake to celebrate the birthday of another Southwest Airlines employee. Right. Things like this. Right. We really encourage, um, and that kind of goes back to our whole low-cost concept, you don't have to spend a lot of money to have celebrations, and we want you to celebrate everything. Right. So we encourage people to come up with their own ways of celebration. One of my favorites, and it tells you a lot about people, too, in terms of whether they'll participate. Things that they don't have to be elaborate to be celebrations. It can be as simple as you go out on a res floor and you tie a balloon on a person's chair. Right. And everyone sitting around that person knows that that res agent sitting in that chair just got a commendation. They don't know whether it was a letter, whether it was a phone call, or what have you, but they know that they got a commendation, and that's cause for celebration. Right. Find any excuse Uh, to celebrate. Yes, find any excuse to celebrate. Kevin and Jackie really picked up on that on their own. Uh, The Freibergs, when they were writing the Nuts book, Uh you know, they practically lived here for eight months. Right. And, I mean, I knew all these things, but it was really fun for me for them to come in and tell me what they saw as sort of, you know, relative outsiders and what they saw as our culture. Right. By the way, what Colleen's talking about is a book that was written called Nuts. Right. About why Southwest Southwest Airlines is is so successful. People of Southwest. It's It's a great book. It is a good book. They did a great job. Isn't okay. that cute? That's her, this is adorable. The invitation to her. By the way, we're, we're sitting at Colleen's desk. I, I'm not going to tell you that it's the cleanest office yeah. I've ever been in. There is paperwork everywhere. Everywhere. So you're, you're a working yes, woman here. I so. am. Yes. Okay. Talk to us about then this internal customer care. That group, virtually, what they are doing is things that I tried to do on my own for many, many years. And you just reached the point where... You just can't. Well, it's only 32,000 employees. Yeah, I know. Well, I used to literally walk around. Everywhere I went, I would carry a little brown book. And if I was at a location, a Southwest location, and somebody was having a birthday celebration, I would write down their name and their birth date. And I would bring it back here, and I would put it on an index card. Everything I did was manual. I am not technology um, competent at all. And I would literally handwrite birthday cards right. to employees. And I did that for probably at least the first 10 years. Until you had how many employees? I mean, Oh, I don't know. Thousands. And you're- thousands. But we just were never a leader when it came to technology. So everything I did, I did manually. Administration was really sort of my thing, as I said. And so I had all these manual systems and cross-reference systems. And, and I mean, I missed some, but I, I was pretty good at it. Well, it got to the point where it was crazy. So I said, 
I, I kept going down to the people department, our human resources area, and I kept saying, you've got, you've got all this information. Surely you can print it out for me. Right. But it took me forever. And that was just for birthdays and anniversaries, uh, date of hire anniversaries, okay. because those were the two things that I wanted to acknowledge for sure on everybody. Then I had all these little, I called them cub reporters in all these locations, you know, probably 12 cities back then. And I would tell them, anytime that you have to make an entry which is going to affect a person's paycheck, I want to know about it. And the reason that I came up with that idea was anything of significance, if somebody's going out on leave, if somebody's got an OJI, it's going to affect a paycheck sooner or later. And that was the only way I could think to stay on, t if somebody has a baby, goes out on maternity leave, somebody comes back from maternity leave, you have to do something that changes the payroll status. So I figured that was the best way for me to keep in touch, to keep up to date on what was going on in people's lives. Now I got burned sometimes because, <laughs> I'll give you an example, one of our pilots, and this, you know, we were much smaller, one of our pilots uh, fell and broke his leg skiing. Well, there wasn't any paperwork done on it because he had all this accrued sick time. Uh -huh. So it didn't show up in terms of a, you know, so I see him like three months, he's been out three months. And I mean, he had an attitude, and I was like, what in the world? You've always been one of my good friends. What is going on here? Well, he was upset because yeah. he, didn't get, he didn't get a get well or, you know, sorry, you're out card for me. And I mean, he, he really was awful about it. Uh -huh. And I thought, oh, my God in heaven. But so I would go around to all these little, I called them cub reporters, and I would say, okay, you're it for Lubbock. Mm -hmm. You're it for Midland. And if I find out that something happened in your little town, that I don't know about, that I should know about. You're the one I'm going to be mad at. Okay, I've adopted the same philosophy. So I, I get phone calls pretty much on a daily basis from staff members. Right. Hey, when today is Jen's birthday, uh, right. here's her cell phone number. Yeah, hey, when so, so and so's cool. uh, mom is in the hospital, mm -hmm. here's the phone right. number. Would you like me to send flowers? Right. What would you like the card to say? Right. So they, they help me look good. Right. And that's what Cynthia's group is doing now. Okay. It's tough, but we just work it all the time. We put out we put out a DVD that shows people what we do, right. the kinds of things we want. But you're still sending out birthday cards to oh, 32,000 employees, yes, correct? we send a birthday card. We send an anniversary card. We now, send, they call you corporate mom. Yeah. You like that, don't you? I like that a lot better than other nicknames <laughs> <laughs> I have had from time to time. <laughs> So that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. That's why they call you corporate mom, right. that, that, that those right. things are important and valuable right. to you. Right. Okay. Now, in hiring, how do you know whether or not somebody has a servant's heart? What do you look for? How do you because, test for it? Because I, I, I hear what you're saying, that you're not really hiring skill. You, you want them to have the skill. That's they need correct. They need to come with the skill set. It's much set. more the intangible okay. than the tangible. Got and it. Basically, we will ask questions during an interview. Okay. that will generate for us the idea as to whether somebody would lean toward a customer versus away from a customer. Okay. Someone that would tend to want to be proactive as opposed to reactive. That, that to me is the critical. I tell our employees that we're in the customer service business. We happen to provide airline transportation. Right. Well, I am so proud of our proactive approach.
And it's really, as I said, the same internally as it is externally. So you've got to, you can't wait for problems to be dumped in your lap. Right. <laughs> you've got to go out and look at what they are and pay attention and, and try to sort of reach them before they become monumental issues. We ask people to tell us what the golden rule means to them. I mean, mm. I was amazed a few years back that many of the young folks coming in, did, when you said what is the golden rule, they really didn't know, which is kind of a poor reflection on our society. We talk to them about egalitarianism, and we talk to people about the fact that being fair doesn't mean being equal. Right. It, we ask people to tell us how they've solved, doesn't matter what the job, how they've solved sensitive issues, how they've handled a situation where they were asked to do something by their boss but they didn't feel it was the right thing to do and why. Hmm. So you, you can gleam a lot. Wow. The more interesting question that I get that you haven't asked me is, how do you determine a sense of humor? I mean, I've, I've had more people say to me, well, how do you test for a sense of humor? And I told one guy one time, I said, well, you know, I put a whoopee cushion in the chair and <laughs> see if they laugh. But, you know, oh. it's, it's very easy to determine whether somebody takes themselves too seriously. Right. And you can do it even without the person knowing you're doing it just by observing people. I love to go up into our cafeteria, which we call the landing, mm -hmm. and watch people that are there. They're there for interviews. You know, we do a lot of group interviews. Right. And watch when they go through the cafeteria line, how what they do when they come out into the open seating. Uh -huh. I want to see if they sit by themselves, if right. they just invite themselves to. It's a very warm as you would expect a southwest yeah. opening feeling but right. people can either go sit down and put their nose in a book and ignore everybody right which would never work at southwest right. <laughs> or they can just sort of join in and and I, you can just tell a lot right. one of my favorite uh, interview stories getting back to the pilots and how they have this image of what they are one of my best friends is a probably 25 year uh, pilot for southwest and he does a lot of interviewing he will go out and sit in the interview group as though he's an applicant. Okay. He'll wring his hands. Like and, he's all nervous. You know, like, oh, I'm nervous. What do you think they're going to ask? Oh, my God. And, I mean, just to get a feel for their personalities. And wow. then they'll walk in for their one-on-ones, and he's on the other side oh, of the desk. Oh, my. Now, that's... That's a great story. I mean, it's pretty darn revealing. Yeah. Another time, we went out, and uh, all of our interviewers came to work in their pajamas. Hmm. I mean, slippers and all. And we told the applicants, well, you know, we're only interviewing we're only interviewing people that were wearing pajamas today. Oh wow. To see what the reaction is. Right. I mean So just this goes, is how you determine whether or not somebody is yeah, fun loving. Sure. Uh, which is you know, part of your leadership expectations. Right. I you know, being impressed by your company so so many years ago. I remember the first time I flew Southwest Airlines and it was so radical yeah. that people <laughs> were cracking jokes. Right. Uh, you know, through the whole, you know, security right. and safety demonstration. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Oh, I got it right. Mm -hmm. But they were they were having fun with it, and they were telling right. jokes about it. And I and I remember sitting there on that plane thinking, this, this is the first so time I've listened to it in a exactly. long time. Yeah. 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 It's um. You know, I get letters, of course, on that from time to time. And well, wait. So has Southwest Airlines always? been that way in terms of like that safety presentation has it always been kind of like a fun presentation we have always and encouraged individuality did you, did you get a lot of heat yes. and a lot of uh like you uh this is 
Yes. You're not driving home the, the whole safety issue here? Well, actually, the opposite is true. But, but yes, I mean, I will get letters from people that say, well, you are just so irreverent, uh, you know, that I don't trust you when it comes to safety. And, and I even get that on our casual uniforms. You know, I don't want somebody in sneakers. I want somebody, you know. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you're in a dire emergency, don't you want somebody to be comfortable that's, tr you know, trying to herd you off an airplane? I mean, would you rather have somebody in nylons and high heels? Right. I don't think so. Right. And, and the other thing is, is that I had to prove to the FAA years ago, I mean, really prove that as long as we covered the critical information that had to be covered with the PA announcements, right. that as, if we did it in a unique way, Customers would be far more apt to pay attention. Right. You get on another airline and you watch when the PA is being made. People are reading their newspapers. They're right. literally not even looking at the flight yeah, attendants. Yeah, nobody's paying attention. No one's paying attention. Yeah. And I have gotten letters that say, this is the first time I've listened to a PA in 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So, but we had to, we had to prove that that was the case. Uh, you mentioned uh, uniform. I remember the first time that I was invited to come and speak here. You introduced me, and um, I was in a suit. Right. I was in a suit and a tie, and I got in trouble. Yeah, that's right. I probably <laughs> but, cut your tie. Uh, there was, there was <laughs> I've when, done that. I've been known to do that. <laughs> when next time, uh, you know, could that's you right. wear jeans? I'm like, right. okay, I can do that. So uh, when Southwest Airlines started back in uh, 1971, uh, your flight attendants were in hot pants and go-go right. boots. Not today. Not today. Our flight attendants convinced me that... Um, we probably wore those uniforms about five years too long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I Although love walking I down your hallways I, because you have mannequins uh, yes. that have all the, the right. different eras of, of uniforms right. that your flight attendants have worn. It's great. Right. So, so the comfortable clothes? Comfortable. I, I bet you I work better that way oh. myself. You do, and so you assume I mean, that everybody else does as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, people don't have to dress that way if they don't want to. Right. But I, you know... If you can sit down on the floor and jeans and cross your legs and, you know. Right. Comfortable. Hmm. You call it positively outrageous customer service. Yes. And Department of Transportation, 13 years in a row, <laughs> best in customer service. Yes. So that's not just you tooting your own horn. Oh, no. This is Department of, it, of Transportation. The, the Department of Transportation, since they've been recording it statistically. Wow. And that's something our people should be very, very proud of. We have come out number one, you know, collectively over that time in customer satisfaction. Okay, now, but you, you categorize yourself in low fares. Doesn't good customer service cost a lot of money to perform? Not if you hire the right people. Oh, that's what I want you talking about, yeah. too. Because that's what people think. Well, if we're going to discount what we do to get the customer based on price, yeah. well, then there goes the customer service. Right. And, I, you know, I just think that I know that a lot of people think that way. I think that's crazy. I think that customer service, we don't have a lot of amenities. We under-promise and over-deliver. Right. We are a low-fear carrier and a low-cost carrier. But we are not low when it comes to uh, caring, warmth, 
and appreciation for our customers. Right. It, hardly anyone gets a paycheck anymore because everything is done through direct deposit. Right. But on our paychecks, where it would ordinarily say, you know, Southwest Airlines and have a line and would have the chairman's signature or the CEO's signature, mm -hmm. our paychecks, the few people that get them still, it says from your customers. Wow. Wow. But that's the message. Wow. The customers are really... They're why we're here, and that's who's paying our salaries. Huh. And, um, you know, that's very important to remember. Can you talk to us about uh, culture? Because you have a culture committee. When, when you think about a culture, what does that mean to you? To me, it means that we are a community and family of spirited, energetic, friendly people who want to open up the skies of America for people to fly. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the word freedom, you know, a lot, because, I mean, Southwest really did change the attitude of the flying public. When we went into the air in 1971, we, 13% of the adults in the world flew, and most of them were male. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we are responsible for each individual adult that now flies, which mm -hmm. is up to something like, you know, 93% of adults fly, male and female. But I am saying that we changed people's thinking about flying, that flying didn't have to be for the elite. And we were the first um, airline that came out with a two-tier fare structure that, that you could have one tier for peak and off-peak. We were the first airline, actually, ironically, we were the first airline that ever had a frequent flyer program. We called it a secretary's club because we knew that secretaries <laughs> uh, were responsible for their boss's travel. We had a little, like a bus, you know, or, or a restaurant thing that you would Where you punch a hole punch in a it. hole in it. Right. Except we put hearts on it, of course. Of course, the of love course. Airline. And every 10 trips that she booked for her boss... Uh, the secretary would get a free round trip ticket. Well, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's great it's cool. Because you went to who the decision maker that's was. That's exactly right. Which was good for you. Yep. Colleen, I want to start to wrap things up here. Um, you, you mentioned mentors. You've also mentioned Herb quite a bit as, as being one of your mentors. Right. What's the best thing that you've learned from, from Herb, who is co-founder of Southwest Airlines? I think the best thing that I learned from Herb was... Um, to be humble and not arrogant and to appreciate people mm -hmm. and to appreciate that people can always teach you something. Mm -hmm. Herb, even today, at 75 years of age, he's always learning. He's always learning and he's always encouraging others to learn. He's interested in everything. And I don't share quite that much enthusiasm as he does for learning. You know, I'm, I'm pretty slow, so I'd rather be really, really good at a few things than, you know, an expert on all. But it takes all of those different traits to make the world go round. Mm -hmm. I think I knew this intuitively, but he just embedded it into my head, is to really appreciate diversity mm -hmm. in the widest stretch of the word. Right. Well, Masters now goes into, we have subscribers in 10 countries. So we have thousands of people who are going to be listening right. to this all over the world. As the president and corporate secretary of Southwest Airlines, do you have a final message for our listeners? Well, I hope they'll fly Southwest Airlines because I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. You know, Colleen, you, you do make it fun. And, oh, good. And, and, and who you, you are and what you believe and what you stand for does trickle down. So congratulations. Thank you very much. 